Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome to Permission to Think. I'm Edwin Rustrian, and I'm glad you're joining me today. Thank you to all of you who week after week tune in to Permission to Think. My desire is to push our thinking, encourage you, and remind you that there is always hope, regardless how bad things get. I hope this podcast has blessed you and added value to your life. As always, I'm excited to announce that my book, Letters to My Girls, is now available in Spanish. You can purchase your copy through Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. For more information, don't forget to visit erustrian.com. And now, let's give ourselves permission to think. Today's episode is the first of a short series on the topic of marriage. We will go deep through the many challenges young married couples face, stages in marriage, pitfalls, unrealistic expectations, the daunting and adverse effects of divorce, and what God has to say on marriage and divorce. You definitely don't want to miss this series. Share it with a friend, other married couples, and young adults who are engaged. The data and statistics on the state of marriage, especially among Christian families, is quite frightening. So our topic for today is uncommon valor in marriage. And here are some questions to make us think. What is your definition of marriage? Is your marriage a social contract? Is your marriage a pledge to each other? What were your motivations for marriage? Did your fiancé know your true motivations? Are you getting out of your marriage what you originally wanted or anticipated? Is the institution of marriage a complete failure? What changed in our society? Let me share a little bit of my experience and my journey in marriage. As of this recording, I'm 45 years old uh, with two beautiful daughters and married for 21 years, going on 22 this September. My wife and I were both 24 years old when we got married, and so much has happened since then. In these 21 years, we've had and experienced great moments. We experienced sad moments, hardships, setbacks, doubt, fear, loneliness, anger, resentment, pride. Uh, issues of trust, uh, issues of confidence, um, insecurities. Um, but when I sat down and took an inventory of all the hardships and setbacks and painful experiences that we went through, I realized that having someone by my side and being there for her as well made all the difference. Um, I think for most of our time that when we really look at our marriage, we see the... Um, the hand of God in our marriage, um, many decisions that we had to make and many moments where we just sat down confused, um, completely demoralized because of bad decision making. Um, we established one principle from the very beginning that whatever decisions we will make, we would never blame each other. And that was a rule that we had established from the very beginning. Uh, we will own our mess or we will enjoy our great accomplishments. And so whenever we were confused about something, we would take um, communion. And together we would come and pray and make a petition made known to God. And that made a, a big difference in our marriage. And statistics shows this, that when families do pray together, um, it does help them in their journey to stay together. And for me, uh, the journey of 21 years and having two girls, 
to raise in this society nowadays that is very challenging. Um, I find that at this period of my life and in this period of my marriage, um, it's perhaps one of the happiest ones I've experienced yet. And a lot of it has to do with my ability to acknowledge her, um, my ability to see that she is for me and not against me. Um, a lot of the things that we argued about was because myself came, I came from a broken home and I had a lot of uh, insecurities and a lot of baggage that I was carrying into the marriage. And so there was a lot of growth that in my part I had to make. And so, uh, but she has been extremely patient. Um, she has been loving. Um, and I'm not saying that she is perfect by any means, and nor am I. As I always share, I am a fallible human being. But there is an element that makes marriage a success when one is truly committed, number one, to God, and two, committed to uh, your spouse in having a sense of humility and a desire to not necessarily always be right. And I think this issue happens a lot in marriages, particularly in young marriages where people have a desire to be right instead of having a home that is peaceful. Um, and I found that when our goal and objective is to have a peaceful home, we have deeper conversations and we invest our time in growing one another and, and loving and being patient with one another than it's supposed to. I am right in this conversation or in this argument. So, and as we go along in this topic, in this series, it's going to be a really tough one because we have to ask some really, really difficult questions. And you as the listener are, are going to determine whether these questions impact your heart or not. And you might be thinking about getting engaged. You might be thinking about, you know, getting married. You're already engaged or you just got married uh, and you realize that it's not all what you thought it was going to be. Or maybe it is. And or maybe you've been married for 10 years. Maybe you've been married for 20 years like, like I have. Um, but in each season of your marriage, it does birth something beautiful. And the opportunities for us to grow are always going to be there. It's what we do when those moments come. So for couples who are thinking of getting married uh, or getting engaged or if you're already married, um, there are two books by H. Norman Wright that I highly recommend you reading. The first book is 101 Questions to Ask Before You Get Engaged. And the second book is called Before You Say I Do. These two books, I wish I had read them before I got married. It would have helped me so much in my journey, particularly in my early years. So, but let me start by asking this other statement, make, perhaps just making this statement. Um, maybe you can complete the statement if you're married or if you're uh, thinking about getting married. Uh, I got married because, think about that reason, okay? Think about your reason for marriage. Think back, maybe some of you might have to go back uh, five years or ten years. Uh, I got married because, right? And so the, in the, in the uh, author, Norman Wright, in, um, in the book Before um, You Say I Do, he penned the following list for unhealthy reasons for marriage. And I want to unpack these a little bit, Okay. Um, 10 things that he identified for unhealthy reasons for marriage. Number one, to spite or get back at your parents. Number two, because of negative self-image, marrying your fiancé will make you feel worthwhile and will give meaning to your life. Number three, to be a therapist or a counselor to your fiancé. I 
this is me quoting here, I think this is in many ways, um, I call it the Messiah complex. Uh, you, you truly believe that you're to save your fiance from all the ills of the world. And that particularly is intended to save them sometimes from their own family. Uh, this type of complex is very dangerous and destructive. We are not meant to try to save anyone. Uh, I think the intention might be good, but, but damaging nevertheless. Number four, fear of being left out, being single forever. Number five, fear of independence. Number six, marrying on the rebound. You are hurt in a former love relationship. And to ease your hurt, you immediately choose another. Number seven, fear of hurting another person. You're afraid of what will happen to your fiancé if you break up, even though you know the marriage is not the answer. Number eight, to escape an unhappy home. Number nine, because you are pregnant or your fiancé is pregnant. Number ten, because you have had sex. And so... These 10 things, I think they're so powerful, but a few of them actually um, speak to me personally. And I think that for many, uh, if you're truthful about it, um, if you really look closely, you will see the intent for people wanting to get married. They feel many times that in marriage, um, it's going to bring some financial security for some. Um, for, for others, it's a way of getting out of the house. Um, for some, I've seen personally that they get married to spite their parents, to get back at them. Um, some of them have felt completely and utterly unhappy in their homes, and they wanted to just leave. And, you know, depending on, on the situation of the house, they're feeling like getting married is their way out. Um, and so there are all these unhealthy reasons as to why people choose to get married. And I think that this... This understanding or this ability to see will definitely bring us to a, an understanding of why we're experiencing what we're experiencing in our society today. Because there isn't a really clear understanding of the person who you are committing your life to. You know, we have this tendency of looking at marriage and we come in already with this intent of, you know, um, just in case it doesn't work out. The mindset is already you're starting your marriage of already defeated, always with the end in mind. Well, if it doesn't work out, then, you know. Uh, have a prenup, uh, everything will be fine. And so it, the idea that you're already thinking about with the end in mind that it might not work out, how do you expect it for it to last? You know, there, there are different elements that happen in marriage that are very, very um, unique. Um, I think that in, in, in his book, Norman Wright also identifies the three stages of marriage. And the stage one is enchantment. <clears throat> stage two is disenchantment and stage three is maturity and for me i've definitely experienced these three and if they've happened at different seasons of my life i think in stage one the enchantment stage um you're on cloud nine everything is perfect that honeymoon uh, you everything is just right you have this uh, feeling of forever you're infatuated idolized um, you're fascinated, you're charmed, you're captivated, you're thrilled. I mean, you're, you're ready to live your perfect marriage. And then things begin to happen. 
The unexpected begins to happen. A person loses a job. A person gets sick. Uh, someone in the family passes away. Um, you know, you start to see the person's living habits. You realize that you didn't know the person as much as you should have, or that you start um, um, you start seeing things that well, how come I didn't see this before? Or maybe you did, but we just ignored it, right? Um, and then the stage of disenchantment comes in. That's the stage two. You're now you're upset. Maybe you're upset at yourself for falling for this person, and you you realize that this person has a lot of character flaws. Um, the person is, a, the, now your disenchantment with being, you feel terrible. You, everything is absolutely wrong and you want to quit. You feel hurt. You feel put down. You feel irritated. You feel uh, burdened. You feel uncomfortable, bitter, and trapped. And so in this stage is when all of life hits you really hard. And then you realize that the house that you built, it was actually a house of cards. And everything is based on each other that you're thinking is like, how am I going to hold this together? And now you have to think about the appearances. Now you're thinking about your parents. And now you're thinking about what everybody else is going to say. And about your own words that you said at the beginning, oh, this is my the love of my life. But now life just hit you with some really uh, strong um scenarios and you have to figure what you're going to do now you have an unexpected pregnancy but this pregnancy is not one child now it's, you haven't done twins so maybe you're having triplets and then it just changes now how are you going to provide for your, your family how are you going to provide shelter and food and someone just lost a job and somebody just got sick or just had an accident these things in marriage um quite often they don't tell us because we're so infatuated where we do it we just don't want to listen to it but this is the stage where you realize that you're really getting to know each other. And I can remember back um, in this particular stage of a marriage where I felt completely um, frustrated because there were so many things that came at me and I didn't know how to deal with them. I didn't know how to handle them. And I, my tendency was always to avoid uh, was this idea of paralysis, right? I, I didn't want to engage. I just wanted to let this be and, and not solve anything I felt like it had nothing to do with me and so I just decided to just ignore it and I was I was angry I was upset but I was more angry upset at myself that I didn't have the tools or the resources to actually know how to um, speak to my wife I didn't know how to engage a meaningful dialogue I didn't understand how to solve problems and so it, it's it's it took me a very long time to get to a place where I felt comfortable having discussions about my insecurities or my challenges that I've had and so that's that stage two of disenchantment when you realize wait a minute I didn't sign up for this you know um, what am I, what are you going to do now you have two options either you stay with it you go through some counseling or you quit and so I think that most people choose the easy way out and they quit or they get distracted, or they find someone else that's going to create that mood or feeling that they had initially at the beginning of their marriage. And so what people usually do, they try to find it in the material. They try to find it in the things of pleasure. Sometimes this is where it becomes very dangerous. We're uh, looking for another person to uh, make us feel um, like we're wanted and we're desired because we equate feelings to love. And love is not predicated on uh, feelings. It's a principle. 
Feelings are just the expression of the love, of the principle that you commit to the person. But this is when we begin to entertain other people. This is when we become, we become more interested in entertaining ideas of another person making us feel what our spouse made us feel at the very beginning. And so, in, in, and so this opens up a lot of doors as well for people to just leave their marriages but you know the cycle will continue if you walk out of the first one then out of the second relationship and the third relationship becomes easier to walk out because now it becomes a pattern but in this stage of disenchantment is one of the most difficult ones but i have to say this is where we can grow the most because I per- I've seen this personally in my life, because, but you have to make a decision. I had to make a decision where to be like, okay, what am I doing? Let's, let's talk about the reality in our marriage right now and what is happening. How did we get here? And begin a plan, establish a plan, a vision, a mission statement in which you're going to work through and be committed to that. And so when we are able to come to terms with the stage that we're in, in that particular aspect of our marriage, we're able to think clearly then we are able to develop and see where we are and where we want to go. And stage three comes with maturity. And this is something that I, that, that I shared before. I think now in, in my 21 years of marriage, I, I gave up the right to be right. <laughs> and I desire to have a home um, that is peaceful. I desire to be at peace with my wife. I desire to be at peace with my children. And I know that for, for, for many people, that, that, is, that is something that can be like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, you, but if you're right, you're right. And here, here's the, the caveat in all of this. I love my wife so much so that when we sit down, we look at every aspect of possibility of how we can both grow. And if I am going to keep fighting with my wife to prove that she was wrong, and I am right. Who wins? Nobody. I diminish my wife. I humiliated her. I reduced her value, her worth, and made myself look like what? A jerk. She's going to despise me. She's going to have resentment towards me. She's going to become distant. But, but, but I'm right. And that's all that matters. And so when in our relationship, we desire to be right over the desire to love and be at peace, we are now uh, in a different mindset. And it's very, very interesting that for most people, when I see them argue, it's about who's going to win the argument. And that's a very dangerous proposition if you're at that stage in your life. But when you are um, at a level of stage three in your maturity, you have your feet on the ground. You have a mindset of, I need you. You have a mindset of, how do you see it? Uh, the interesting thing about this is that recently, my wife and I, were with this, we were having a discussion, and the ability to repeat back to her how I was listening to the way she was speaking to me, and we, we reciprocate this aspect, is like, when, when you say this, I'm understanding this is what you're saying. And what that has done in our marriage is that I no longer go at her arguing back to her and fighting with her. I am communicating like when you're speaking, this is what I'm listening. This is what I'm interpreting in my mind that you're saying. Is that what you're saying? And then she does the same thing. And what, what we've able to, uh, to, to accomplish with this is that many times in the way that we speak, 
to each other may not necessarily, we may not mean it to come off that way, but that's what the person is hearing. That's what the person is listening to you. And so what has, what, what that has done for us is it has given us clarity to say, Hey, let, let me, let me ask you in this direct way. Is this, is this what you're saying? And then it allows the person to think and reframe the statement, right? And to think it over and say, well, no, that's not what I really was trying to say. I, I want to say this actually. And so, I've taken the time now to say, I'm not being attacked. My wife loves me. My, my wife cares for me. And she's expressing something. But I want to make sure that what she's saying is I'm understanding it correctly. And so we usually when, when we go back and, and, and kind of reaffirm or confirm if this, what the person is saying, what she's saying, it has really diminished the amount of arguments and disagreements in our marriage and has had a great impact. The other aspect of stage three of the maturity stage is let's work it out. And that's exactly what it's all about. It's no longer about the individual, but it's about our family. It's about, hey, let's sit together. We're smart people. We can figure this out. Um, then there's the mindset of I'll help you. You know, quite often we don't ask for help. You know, we feel like we need to do everything on our own. Uh, encouragement is another aspect of maturity. Feeling whole and refreshed. Being thankful and expressing gratitude is another form of maturity in your marriage. Feeling free. And by free, I mean like free to love and free to be expressive because you know that what you're going to do is um, truly in, in the best of intentions for your spouse. Uh, feeling comfortable and friendly and you're growing together. Together we can make it. And, and again, like I said before, I choose peace over being right. These things for me, these th three, three stages are so critical. The stage of enchantment, number one. Stage two, disenchantment. Stage three, maturity. Where are you in your relationship? Where are you in your marriage? Or maybe these are things that you should think about as you're planning to get married or you're planning to be committed to someone. You know, quite often I hear people use this phrase is that, you know, I, I am so in love with him and, and I'm so in love with her. And I think that that's stage one to identify is infatuation. And then after you go through a couple of, 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 of weeks and you go through a month and after, you know, all the beautiful aspects of the honeymoon is over, you get to do life. And nothing in this world, I truly believe, can um, really satisfy the human heart because the human heart is always looking for something unknown. But to be committed to one person for the rest of your life, and I speak here as a man, you know, I, I really believe that it takes a greater man to please one woman for an entirety of her life than to try to please many. I think that for many of us men, Perhaps we think that by having many women and many sexual experiences that it makes us look more masculine and, and the idea that um, this is what a man is supposed to be. I think it only diminishes us. I think that weak men use abusive language. Weak men are physically abusive. Weak men go around um, sleeping with everyone and leaving unwed children. Um, I think every weak men are, are the ones who destroy our society, but I think strong masculine men are the ones who are able to know how powerful they really are, but they exercise self-control and discipline. These are the men who are faithful to their wives. These are the men who are, if they make a mistake, they understand that the power of forgiveness and to uh, be able to um, 
restore something that was broken. Uh, strong men are there, there by their children. Strong men are committed to life, to faith, to God. Strong men have this ability to understand that I can destroy almost anything, but I choose not to. I choose kindness over um, destroying anything, destroying a life. And so uh, these three stages are, are, are very, very um powerful and just to give you something to think about again i'm going to say it again stage one is enchantment stage two is disenchantment stage three is maturity and so um i wanted to just kind of prep this in a way that it's going to now go into the daunting aspect of if all of these things that we have discussed so far are definitely part of the human experience a part of of being married and being in a relationship you you have to ask the question, it's like, why do I want to be with this person? Why do I want to spend the rest of my life with this person? What is it about this person that um, um, just I feel loved or I feel trust or really, really give some thought to that, right? Because you're making a commitment that is supposed to be for life, for better, for worse, for sickness or in health, for richer, for poor. And I think that for most people, when things get bad, they jump ship, they jump ship and I've discovered that for me getting through the hard parts when we came through and when we went uh, through those storms our marriage was stronger for it our marriage became um, was built on a greater foundation and so really think about who you're committing your life to and it is important for you to know that person don't ignore the signs that are there it's going to cost you greatly once you say I do and you get in a relationship. And I think that for many people who do not focus or do not pay attention to all the signs, they live a very unhappy marriage. They live in very isolated relationships in a home. And so I'm going to present to you some data on divorce. And I want us to think a little deeper about marriage and the impact that it has and this uh, statistics and data comes from the u.s census bureau and among other national surveys here are the reasons given and their percentages lack of commitment 73 percent argue too much 56 percent infidelity 55 percent marry too young 46 percent Unrealistic expectations, 45%. Lack of equality in the relationship, 44%. Lack of preparation for marriage, 41%. Domestic violence or abuse, 25%. Here's some more interesting um, data and statistics about the, the, the reasons for divorcing. Almost 50% of all marriages in the United States will end up in divorce or separation. The United States has the sixth highest divorce rate in the world. The average age for couples going through their first divorce is 30 years old. Wives are the ones who most often file for divorce at 66% on average. That figure has soared in nearly 75% in some years. Women with six or more premarital sexual partners are almost three times less likely to be in a stable marriage. The risk of divorce was said to be almost doubled 
97% higher when the mother went out to work, but her husband made a minimal contribution to housework and childcare. In 2011, Facebook was cited as a major contributor to one-third of divorce petitions examined by, the, by one UK study. In a study by the University of Rochester, researchers said that watching romantic movies and having a conversation around it helps in lowering the divorce rate from 24 to 11% in marriages of three years. Pornography addiction was cited as a factor in 56% of divorces, according to a recent study. Divorce rate for couples with children is as much as 40% lower than those without children. Half of all children in the United States will witness the ending of a parent's marriage. If you have twins or triplets, your marriage is 17% more likely to end in divorce than if your children are not multiples. If you have a daughter, you're nearly 5% more likely to divorce than if you have a son. When there are as many as three daughters, that difference spiked to 10%. Fathers are significantly less likely, 3%, to be living with their children if they have daughters versus sons. Having a baby before marriage can increase the risk of divorce by 24%. And this one I found rather interesting. This one says, each liter of alcohol consume raises the chance of divorce by 20%. Factor in that the average American drinks 9.4 liters of alcohol per year, raising their divorce likelihood by 188%. 43% of children in the United States are being raised without their fathers. 43% of children in the United States are being raised without their fathers. When the parents are happily married, the risk of divorce of the children decreases by 14%. 90% of divorced mothers have custody of their children. 65% of divorced mothers receive no child support. And so I want to go into the impact, the financial impact that this also has on, 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 on families when, when they divorce. Um, the average total cost of divorce in the United States is $15,000. Families with children that were not poor before the divorce see their income drop as much as 50%. Almost 50% of the parents with children that are going through a divorce move into poverty after the divorce. This is trauma. Divorce is trauma, and it's not spoken of because we made so much light of it, Right. It, it, is, it, is, it impacts the child, destroys the foundation of the child, that the safety net that was created in the family structure has been completely shattered. And when that's shattered, the child's heart, spirit, and soul is completely destroyed. 60% of people on the poverty guidelines are divorced women and children. 60% of people under poverty guidelines are divorced women and children. One researcher determined that a single divorce costs state and federal government about $30,000 based on such things as the higher use of food stamps and public housing as well as increased bankruptcies and juvenile delinquency. This last fact, I thought it was quite overwhelming. The nation's 1.4 million divorces in 2002 
were estimated to have cost the taxpayers more than $30 billion. And so we can make the argument that divorce is, is bad, and, and, and we can make the argument that sometimes the, 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 the federal government gets too much into the business of telling people what to do. But when you look at the cost, when you look at the absence, fathers, when, when families are completely destroyed, the job of the federal government is then to come in and try to keep some sort of civility within our nation. If you don't have the basic uh, needs for a person to feed them, to shelter them, then what you're going to have is a very um, poor nation. You're going to have a nation that is completely um, chaotic, um, implodes, but it doesn't create stability. You get crisis, crime, crime is going to go up. This is, a, this is something that we're seeing in major cities when the cost of living is going too high and people cannot afford it. Think about this. If the average rent in a New York City apartment okay, is $3,000 and the person doesn't even make $25,000, you're a single mother and you have children, whose responsibility is going to be? And if the father is not paying any child support or, God forbid, the father passed away, what, how is that person supposed to sustain themselves? So yes, many times we can't complain about the federal government stepping, overstepping, but look at the chaos that we have now. When we have 43% of our children in the United States are living with our fathers. These numbers are, 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 are daunting. They're scary. They're frightening to see. And we wonder why we have the society that we have today. We treat marriage like we're going to buy a pair of shoes. We, we treat marriage like, hey, if it doesn't work out, I just, no, I just walk out. And, and I, I would think that, you know, when people say, well, you know, the, the divorce rates are, are definitely down in the United States. I, I don't see it. Or maybe for those who desire to cohabitate and, and rather live with a person than be committed, right? Um, you don't, then you just walk away from the relationship and then you find another person to, to live with and then you continue the cycle. And maybe that's why people say, well, the divorce rates are down. Yeah, because nobody's getting married. And the question is whether is the institution the problem or is the people the problem? You know, the, the institution of marriage, according to God, is a holy union. And so when you destroy the family, you destroy a community, you destroy a society, you destroy a nation. And if we're seeing what we're seeing today and everything that you watch in the news and every little moment that you see is that I truly believe that this is the impact that the 60s ushered in. We're living now in a, in a time of day where the 60s was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and just try anything. Better yet, try everyone and see how that's going to work out for you. And we are in a society today where we cannot, able to, we're not able to determine the difference between right and wrong. We're not able to say or speak the truth because truth is, is your truth and my truth, and that's the only truth that matters. Forget absolute truth. And so when, when we are considering, when we're looking at the family, before you get married, know the person well. Think about the reasons why you're getting married. So when the difficult moments come, you're not walking away from your family. Trust me, if anyone has been married for more than five years, the average person, uh, the average couple, according to data, shows that within the first seven, eight years, they'll end up getting divorced. They won't make it through that uh, threshold. They won't make it through that dip that comes in marriage. And so when your foundation is solid 
and you understand the healthy reasons why you're committing yourself to a, a relationship. And I heard all types of junk about, you know, what people think and say about marriage. But if you speak to anyone who, who has really made a commitment and understand that I am committed to this person. And as I cited earlier, the number one reason what divorce happens is because of lack of commitment. There is no understanding of what the word commitment means. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have setbacks or shortcomings. It means that regardless of what comes your way, you are committed to that person. You are committed to your children. And when we see this level of people who do not have any qualms or any uh, ability to say, like, I don't need to stay here. My happiness is what matters. And that word is such a selfish word when you put it over your family. My happiness, I deserve to be happy. I deserve to live the life that I want to live at the cost of the expense of what? Of walking away from your family? Look, I know that there, there are various reasons for people decide to walk out of a relationship. But this is why I think that we need to prepare our, our young couples, our young to really have a true understanding of, 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 of have premarital counseling and understanding what really entails in marriage. Marriage is about a lot of give and take. It's about the true aspect of the principle of love, of commitment, of integrity, of honoring the person. But even if you come to a point that you experienced a trauma in your life, that you're able to have the strength as a person to own it, own your mistake, own your faults, and be able to have dialogue. And when you have this level of vulnerability and this element of authenticity in your marriage, and you ask your partner for help, that's why the person is there for you. The, your, your marriage is not meant to be lived by one person alone. It's meant to be done in, in unison, together. And, and so many times as men, we feel like we cannot express to our wives the challenges that we go through because we have to be strong. Not, and unbeknownst to us, they have a greater capacity to help us get through the most difficult times in our lives. Our children need to know that we are committed to them. Please hear my heart. If our society is where we is today, it's in fact due because I truly believe that the family, the institution of family and marriage has been completely destroyed and has been made a mockery of. Think where you are and where you are going. Think about your children. Think about the impact. The moment you decide mom or dad or whoever decides to walk out of that marriage, seek help. For many people, I know that if you're living with a spouse who's an alcoholic, that's trauma. That's hard. That's difficult. If you're living with a person who um, is constantly sleeping around and having affairs, I know that that's difficult too. If you're living with a spouse who's constantly getting the family into debt, I know that's difficult too. But before you say I do, all of the signs are there. And if you think you're going to change your spouse once you get married, and you're going to have this Messiah complex that, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rid of all the ills that this person has and I'm going to make this person whole. You're deceiving yourself and you're setting yourself up for failure. You're setting up your life to experience something 
that you know very well, it's not your job to do. So I'm going to end this part of our series because I wanted to just give you the, an introduction to the reasons why perhaps unhealthy reasons why people get married. Give you some statistics as to what, what is the reasons for the high rate of divorce in our nation and really make us think about where do we go from here? Is there hope for our relationships? Is there hope for our marriages? Is there hope for our families? And I truly believe that there is. I believe that for the couples who sit down, have these hard, difficult, meaningful conversations, and when they come together and they do pray and they ask God to guide them, is what makes all the difference. I know it has for me to have to unpack so many of the, the things that I had to go through and so many of my failures that I've had has really made a significant impact in my life. So let me go back to the questions that I asked you earlier. What is your definition of marriage? Is your marriage a social contract? Is your marriage a pledge to each other? What were your motivations for marriage? What are you getting out of your marriage? Is the institution of marriage a complete failure? I want to end today with our quote of the day that comes from H. Norman Wright. And it says, Warning, never marry or get engaged to a stranger. Remember, my friends, never compromise integrity for comfort. Stay strong.